Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, For those who do not know me, my name is Chris Jones, and I have been blessed for a little while now to be our church's outreach pastor. And let me just say this. I'm totally excited today with the, be given the opportunity to share today's message with you. For those who are watching online today, let me just say hello to you as well. We are so thankful that you are a part of the Coastal family. And wherever you might be watching from today, we would absolutely love it if you would just take a few moments to leave some comments in the chat. Uh, we'd love to hear from you today. So we have been Coastal in this series called The Word, and it has been a great series as our church, heading into a brand new year, chocked full of endless possibilities, and we have resolved ourselves corporately as a church to read the Bible from cover to cover over the course of this new year. And so many of you have already committed to take this journey with us, but let me just say this, friends, it's not too late if you haven't signed up yet. Yes, of course, we are 23 days deep into it at this point, but it's not too late for you to sign up. So if you haven't signed up already, there's still a place on your Connect card. You can check the block and you can take the journey with us. Now, as I just stated a couple moments ago, the Word series has been a very great series and we're gonna wrap it up today. But anytime we have these types of series, these really good ones, and we always have good ones here at Coastal, a good quick recap is always warranted. So let's do that really quickly. In the very first week, Pastor Chris shared that the Bible can indeed be trusted. He talked about how the Bible passes the test of historicity. He talked about all these surviving manuscripts exceeding that of many other historical documents. He talked about all of the recent archaeological finds out there that lines up and confirms a lot of the stories that we read about in the Bible. And he shared with us in that very first week how the Word of God is inspired and how it actually fulfills prophecy. And then in the second week, He took us on this journey as we talked about the benefits of the Bible and how it helps us to know God and how it teaches us the truth and how it gives us spiritual strength. And he shared with us, when we take advantage of all the benefits of the Bible, we can then gain perspective and then conviction while also building up our Christian character. And then last week, Pastor Chris shared with us this necessity for every believer to establish what he called a quiet time. He talked about the importance of each and every believer selecting a specific place and time to have a place of solitude. He said it doesn't matter if you happen to be a morning person like myself or more of a night owl like him. It's important to make a quiet time a priority in the life of the believer. Very interesting today, uh, or I should say this week, uh, Pastor Scott, uh, who was supposed to be preaching today, uh, regretfully, there is some sickness in the family, so do keep him in prayer, Uh, but I do appreciate the dialogue that he and I had this week. Uh, I do pray that he is well and his family is well very soon, but he shared with me a very great quote that he picked up uh, from seminary, and it is a quote from Charles Spurgeon. The quote says this, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. It's a great quote, right? And today we're going to continue our series by talking about how to study the Bible. Now you might very well be thinking, why do I need to study the Bible? 
I barely have time to get the reading in from this one-year Bible plan that we've started. 15 minutes a day is already a little bit of a stretch for me. For some, you might say, I already have a difficult time, Chris, establishing and then maintaining this discipline of focused Bible reading. And others might be thinking, why is there so much focus here at the very beginning of the year for all of us to get deep into God's word every single day? Well, I'd like to give you a very short answer. And that short answer is this. There is transforming power found in the word of God. There's transforming power found in his word. You see, the Bible contains within its covers the wisdom that can change your life. And this transforming power can also change the way you think. It has a way of resetting your priorities. It can reduce your stress. It can give you strength. And this transforming power found only in the word of God can indeed change your outlook on life. It can give you hope. It can give you joy. And whether you believe this or not, it can even give you peace. But let me just say this, the only way to fully experience the power of God's word is to immerse yourself into it, routinely, thoughtfully, prayerfully, and yes, studiously. Listen to what the word of God has to say in Hebrews chapter four and verse 12. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. As we just read there, God's word is alive. It cuts through the pretense. The Bible teaches us that it cuts all the way through bone and marrow. It gets to the deepest hidden parts of humanity. It exposes darkness. It reveals who we are and what we think and how we act. And it teaches us that outside of the grace of God, you and I, we are lost and unable to find our way. But as we resolve in ourselves to develop this habit of study, we find within the Bible's transforming power the heart of God and his love for his people. We find this lighted path, if you will, that helps us on this journey that we call life. And we find a treasure more valuable and unlike anything else we can experience here on the earth. So the question then is for us, how do we, you and I, become students of the Bible? Well, I'm gonna share with you several things today, but I wanna go ahead and make a quick disclaimer. And the disclaimer is the things that we have to share, I have to share, I should say, in the limited amount of time that we have together won't cover everything. But what it will do is give us a good, solid foundation as how to we move from this place of just reading the Bible to actually becoming students of it. So again, the question, how do we become students of the Bible? Well, the first thing is this. We have to anchor Bible study with prayer. What's very remarkable about the Bible is that it is unlike anything ever written. It is like this bottomless treasure chest you see, you crack open the lid to reveal the treasure inside, but did you quickly find as you explore the treasure that's contained in it that the treasure is endless? Allow me to explain it a little further. You and I, we could literally spend every single moment, every single minute of our lives studying the scriptures and never fully reach the end of the wisdom that it provides. It provides us, you and I, with the kind of treasure that moth, 
rust, and not even time itself can destroy. But friends, if we want to experience that transforming power of God's word through study, we've got to first anchor it down in prayer. Listen to what James says in James chapter one and verse five. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Here's James. He is the half brother of Jesus and he's writing to persecuted believers scattered about because of persecution by the Roman Empire. It is a very practical book, helping the persecuted believers at the time to deal with the troubles that they were facing because of the persecution. And he encourages them as a practical application to simply seek the wisdom of God, to help them to deal with life as it may be, as trying as it may be, by leaning on the wisdom of God. Now you and I, we may be far separated from the kind of persecution that the first century church faced. But make no mistake, you and I, we need the wisdom of God to help us to understand its transforming power in our lives. Friends, let me just say this. It's easy for us to simply open up a Bible plan like the one-year Bible plan and just kind of as a matter of routine read through that for the course of the day, just checking off the blocks, if you will, only to kind of repeat the cycle the very next day. And here's another thing. It is quite possible for us to read the Bible from cover to cover, as we are doing as a church this year, and not experience the blessing it contains in its pages. And you might be saying, okay, whoa. But you see, when we resolve to study the Bible without anchoring it in prayer, the likely best that you and I can hope for is some additional knowledge. By not anchoring the word of God to prayer, we are forfeiting the opportunity to experience the transformation that can be received in our lives. So we are left with asking a question. Do we just hope for knowledge? Or is it by studying God's word, do we hope for transformation? You see, knowledge is limited, whereas transformation has a way of impacting eternity, and it is indeed limitless. You see, with knowledge, you can tell us what you know about the Bible. However, with transformation, we can all see with our own eyes how the Bible has changed you. And if all that were not enough, we should ask God to help us with the reading of his word because who better else to ask than the author himself? So listen to what the authorship, what the Bible has to say about authorship. In John chapter one and verse one, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And also, a passage of scripture that Pastor Chris uh, shared uh, in a previous message, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So coastal. If God is indeed the author of the Bible, and we're seeking not just some extra knowledge, but for life changing transformation, then what then should we be praying for? Well, we should pray to ask God for understanding as to what the Bible is saying. We should pray to understand what the the passages that we're reading means. And we should pray to ask for understanding as to how what it is that we are reading and then studying applies to our lives. So to become students of the Bible, we first anchor that Bible study with prayer, and then we do this. We consider the context 
of what we're studying. You see, to develop an understanding of what we're reading requires a few foundational steps. The first, as Pastor Chris shared in a previous message, we have to develop a healthy starting point. In other words, we begin at the beginning, as with the one-year Bible. And if you're reading on that plan, you know it start where? In Genesis chapter one and verse one. Or if you prefer, within a particular book of the Bible, say Romans chapter one and verse one, or maybe John chapter one and verse one, just as examples as opposed to just opening up the Bible and diving in or cherry-picking verses here and there. You see, to truly understand context, we must seek who the Scripture was written by and why and when the passages are written and what was happening historically at the time. Interesting enough, when I was in seminary, there were two basic core requirements. One was survey of the Old Testament And you can likely guess what the other one was, survey of the New Testament. Both were required regardless of the degree plan. And the essence of both of these courses was simply this, who, what, when, where, and why. And these courses methodically takes the student through all 66 books of the Bible, helping the student to understand when the book was written and helping to understand who wrote the book and why it was written and what was going on historically at the time. You see, establishing context is very important for seminarians. And truth be told, establishing context is equally important for you and I. Because if we don't understand the context of what we're reading, we, one, won't understand what we're reading, or two, we'll have the tendency of taking those passages out of context. Both are highly problematic. Why? Because when we don't understand we get frustrated. And when we get frustrated, we set the word of God down and we don't no longer study it. And the other, we potentially lead ourselves and others astray when we take those passages out of context. And both leave the possibility of our missing out on the transforming power of God's word in our lives. So we're just gonna take a few moments here and talk about how this idea of context comes into play. We're going to look for just a few moments at a very familiar passage from the Old Testament so that we can see very practically how the idea of context works out. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. You've likely heard it before. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Again, as I just shared a few seconds ago, this is an incredibly popular passage of scripture. If you spend any time on social media, you will find that it's frequently quoted out there. You can go to places like my wife's favorite store, Hobby Lobby, and you can purchase signs for your home with Jeremiah 29, 11 written all over them. But it's often noted as one of the most frequently taken out of uh, context passages in the Bible. Now, let me just say this. Does God have a great plan for our lives? Well, sure he does. Does God desire to give us all hope? Absolutely. This is actually true. The Lord does have a great plan for our lives, and the Lord is certainly the only source of hope on this earth. But the verse is often quoted as offering assurance of either health or wealth or a combination of the two, or that somehow, because of Jeremiah 29, 11, that somehow tomorrow is just gonna be a better day, or that this idea that all believers are gonna be able to enjoy prosperity from the Lord because of Jeremiah 29, 11. Taken on its own and out of context can be both misleading 
and in some cases, dangerous to the believer. You see, friends, context is key to opening the treasures of Scripture. Now, let's back it up a little bit to kind of put that verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, into some context. Jeremiah 29 and 1 says this, Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. So to understand context, the book of Jeremiah is about the nation of Israel's disobedience. You see, the people of Israel at the time of Jeremiah were rebellious, they were murderous, they were idolatrous, and in this case, they were being judged by God. Many were, had already been murdered. So many of them had been stripped from their homes and exiled to a foreign country. Make no mistake, friends. There are some powerful promises contained in Jeremiah 29. Promises of restoration following judgment. But it's key to understand it is written to the exiles in a pagan nation known as Babylon because they chose as a people to rebel against God. Now, this is indeed a very far cry from the hope of tomorrow being a better day or somehow taking that passage out of context and saying, God has a better plan for me. Again, it's why it's so important for you and I, if we're gonna move from reading to study, that we fully understand the context behind what it is we are studying in the scriptures. It is why the who, what, when, where, and why is so important if we're going to study the scriptures and study them well. So to become students of the Bible, we must anchor the reading of the word of God in prayer and then to understand the context of what we're reading. And then there's this. If we're going to be good students of the Bible, we should interpret what the passages mean. You've, already, you've likely probably heard people say in the past, when you talk about the Bible, that's just your interpretation. You ever heard that? It's as if you all can have an interpretation I can have an interpretation, and the folks over here on this side of the sanctuary, they can have their own interpretation, and it all be true, or they all be equally valid. But let me just say this, it's not true. You see, the Bible, and each verse in the Bible has one and only one meaning. Now, there may be very well multiple applications from a particular passage of Scripture, which we'll discuss more in a minute, but it only has one interpretation. The Bible doesn't mean 10 different things when it says something. It means one and only one main thing. There may be many applications depending on, let's say, you're a man or you're a woman or you're young or you're old. It may have a different application if you are married versus being single. It may have a different application. Let's say you are living in the 21st century as opposed to living all the way back in the first century. You see, a passage of Scripture can have many different applications, but there's only one meaning to each verse. You see, the danger is that anyone, you and I included, can make the Bible say anything. Just take a few verses out of context, misinterpret a few here and there, and you've got a Bible that says exactly what you want it to say. So let's talk about how this applies and how we can take another very common passage of scripture this time from the New Testament and see how interpretation plays out. Philippians chapter four and verse 13, very familiar passage of scripture. It says, for I can do everything who, through Christ who gives me strength. It, like Jeremiah 29, 11, has had its share of social media postings as well. 
There are t-shirts and bumper stickers, wall and desk plaques with the passages adorned all over them. And for the sports fan, even 2007 Heisman Trophy winner and former college football star, Tim Tebow greased Philippians 4.13 under his eyes when suiting up for those Florida SEC football games on Saturday afternoon. Now make no mistake now, it is the truth. You and I can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. But we could also argue that this very well could be one of the most misused and misinterpreted passages in all the New Testament. Some quote the verse with the impression that because Jesus gives us strength, that Chris Jones here can go out and win the $200 billion mega millions jackpot because Christ gives me strength. Or after I'm done preaching this message today, I'm going to let Pastor Chris know that I'm done pastoring here because I'm going to be traveling up to Atlanta because I'm going to be a starting pitcher for the Atlanta Braves this coming season because Christ gives me strength. These are ludicrous examples, right? And they're funny, but hopefully you kind of get the point. Whereas the passage is perfectly within context. After all, we all believe and know that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Time nor place doesn't change that. But we tend to misinterpret the passage when we fail to interpret the passage by studying the correlating passages that are around it. There are other passages surrounding Philippians 4.13 that allow us to put things, this particular passage, into context. Let's see how that plays out. Philippians chapter 1. Verses 12 through 14 says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and speak boldly God's message without fear. This is the Apostle Paul who is penning this passage in Philippians. And a proper interpretation, friends, has very little to do with wealth or prosperity. It has very little to do with a life without trouble. In fact, if you've been on earth for more than a couple minutes, you know the opposite holds true. You see, the correlating verses surrounding Philippians 4.13 reveals an imprisoned Paul. His crime, well, he was planting churches and spreading the gospel, doing absolutely wonderful things. But now he finds himself in a position where he does not know if execution will now be his fate. But here he is. He finds strength in knowing that other believers were openly sharing the message without fear and without confidence. And the church was growing in spite of Paul's circumstances. And then there's this, Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21 He says, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. You see, when we properly interpret Philippians 4.13, again, we discover it has absolutely nothing to do with personal gain. It has nothing to do with Chris Jones winning the lottery or achieving some lifelong dream. It has little to do with overcoming personal adversity. You see, this passage teaches us contentment in every situation in life to include the bad ones. And just as it happened with Paul, friends, 
bad things are going to happen in life. Life isn't always going to be roses, whether, it be, whether we be in a good way or whether we find ourselves in a bad way. Enjoying a season of plenty or a challenging season of being in want, we can be both content and can endure in faith because Jesus Christ himself gives us strength to do it. Strength for what, you ask? Strength to be obedient to our number one calling. And what is that number one calling? Advancing the message of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. And let me just say this. When it comes to studying and interpreting the Bible, there's no mystery or secret code to the scriptures. As students of the Bible, we should just literally look for the most obvious meaning in the text. This is the exact opposite of what a lot of people like to do. They want to go and find some deep meaning. They want to find some hidden meaning, meaning found in the words of the Bible. They want to find some secret in its words. And if we go looking, friends, for some secret hidden meaning, we're going to miss it. Why? Because the Bible isn't full of secrets. Let me just say it again. The Bible is not full of secrets. Think about it. Why would God put secrets in the Bible? Its purpose for us is to reveal himself to us, not to conceal him. Why would God give us the Bible to tell us what he's like and then hide it from us? It simply doesn't make sense, right? Again, the purpose of the Bible is not to conceal, but to reveal. There's nothing hidden from us in the word of God. It's all there. We just have to resolve in our minds that we're going to study and try to find it. And know this, the Lord, he wants us to seek him because when we do, we'll find him. Don't take my word for it. Hear it from the word of God. It says in Psalms 119 verse two, joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. Proverbs 8 and 17 says, I love all who love me. Those who search will surely find me. And even Jesus himself in Luke chapter 11, verses nine through 10 says, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks will receive. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Make no mistake, God loves us. There are no secrets in the Bible. There is no secret code, no secret formula, nor there's any hidden messages. There's no nonsense and there's no pretense. The Lord is not in the, in the business of playing games with us. He gave the Bible to us to reveal himself and not to conceal himself. You see, Jesus wants us to be in his word. He wants us to be students of his word. He wants us to understand rightly that which it is we are studying. And in the process, he wants more than anything for us to find him. So we've talked about in order to be students of the Bible, we have to first anchor it with prayer. We have to consider the context of the scriptures that we're reading, and we have to wrestle to interpret what those passages mean. And lastly, there's this. We have to consider the biblical application. We've already anchored what we've read in prayer. We've asked for wisdom and understanding. We've conducted a survey of the scriptures, understanding who wrote what we've read. We've asked the questions like when it was written and what was happening historically at the time. We've wrestled with what the passage is saying, and we've looked at the correlating passages around the, around the verses that, that we've studied so we can interpret what it is that we are reading. Now, this final step, 
could quite arguably be the most important of them all. Coastal, let me just say this. We aren't really studying the Bible until we're doing something with what we've learned. Here's an interesting reality too. We only believe the parts of the Bible that we actually do. It's not enough to just put some new ideas into your mind. The new ideas must be applied in order to change your life. You see, the Bible was not given to us just to increase our knowledge. The Bible was given to us so that we might be able to change our lives. So the next, this final step in every Bible study is answering this question. What am I going to do with what I've studied? James chapter one and verse 22 says this, but we don't, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Luke chapter 11 and verse 28 says, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. That's Jesus. There are no poetic words here. To apply God's word to your life, you must actually do what it says. And when we do, we get to experience the joy of experiencing the transformation, transform, transforming power, I should say, in our lives. So here we are. Friends, we've come full circle. Remember at the very beginning of the message when I said the only way to fully experience the power of God's word is to immerse yourself in it routinely, thoughtfully, prayerfully, and studiously. And remember, there is transforming power found in the word of God. Our choice then there is this. Will we choose to be a student or not? Will we be too busy with other pursuits or will we make study a priority in our lives? Will we choose the status quo or will we pursue a treasure that only the word of God can provide? There is another choice to consider today as well. And that choice is, will we choose Jesus or we choose our own way? Again, as I shared early in this message, we can read the Bible from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. We can attempt to understand the context of every passage in the scriptures. We can attempt to interpret the meaning of the Old and the New Testament, but without a relationship with Jesus, the best we'll ever do is gain a little bit of head knowledge. Friends, listen to me. We will never experience the transforming power of God's word in our lives without Jesus Christ. So to those who are watching online, to those who may be here in person, who may not know him, allow me the privilege to introduce you to the one who died for your sins so that you might know the complete forgiveness of those sins and have an eternal life that can only be found through him. He invites you today to receive him as Lord. And he invites you despite your past and in, past, in spite of your past mistakes. And let me just say this as we close. The very first step in becoming a student of the Bible is to get to know the teacher. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks today. We thank you, Lord, for this, this series, the word. We thank you, Lord, that You've given us a desire in our heart, Lord, to read together as a church from the beginning of your word all the way to the end. And Father, our prayer is just simply this, that Lord, we would just not move from a place to where we are just reading, Lord, but our prayer as a church would be that we would become students. 
We would become students, Lord, because we too want to experience the transforming power of your word in our lives. Father, give us a hunger, Lord, for your word. Help us, Lord, to reach a place in our lives, Lord, to where we can't live without it. And help us, Lord, to see, Father, Lord, your goodness, your heart for us, the message of forgiveness, the message of healing, Lord, that it can only be found, Lord, through committed study of your word. Father, we pray for the person or persons, Lord, who may be online or in person who do not know you. Father, our humble ask, Lord, for them today is if they do not know you as their Lord and Savior, that at this moment, they would receive you as Lord. That perhaps they would just pray something like this, Father, I've gone my own way. I've tried my own thing. But Lord, I have recognized and I see, Lord, the sacrifice that you made on the cross, Lord, for my sins that I might have eternal life with you. I receive that today. I want to, Lord, to set aside my own way and to go your way now. And Lord, as I develop that relationship with you, that I too, like other believers, would have a hunger and a desire for your word. Father, we pray for our church, Lord. May we continue to be the lighthouse in the darkness. May not only we be hungry for your word, but Lord, we would continue to be an instrument for your glory in our kingdom. And we give you thanks and we give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.